Chris. And I'm Crystal. We've been friends for 4,722 days. And this is Fiction Fan and Otherwise, a podcast we created to have an area to get out all of our recent and sometimes long-term media obsessions that no one in our real lives wants to listen to. Except for Christiana's mom, of course. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. (laughs) Some context for the 4,722 days. Uh, We've been friends for going on 13 years now. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I know, the more I say it, like, the less real it feels. 13 years is so long to be doing anything, much less doing it with another person. Um, But we met (laughs) on the second day of the fifth grade. Which I remember because uh, when they called Roll the first day, they called Crystal's name and she wasn't there. And I was like, who doesn't show up for the first day of class? And I remember it being the second day of fifth grade because I wore my first day clothes on that day. And it was very exciting for me because I was the only one dressed up. About a year and a half ago, Crystal was taking a... I, what was the class? It was like a gender and media studies class, but it was very, very heavily focused on like the media studies portion of it. One of the projects for that course was to record a podcast episode, sort of a topic relating to gender and media. Uh, And that was sort of the first episode of the podcast. Crystal asked me to do it with her so she would have somebody to talk to. And I was happy to do that because I love to talk to Crystal, especially about media, because that's what we spend, I would say, at least half of the time we hang out doing. And to give you a little bit more context about uh, when this (laughs) podcast was happening, we recorded it right as all of the Destiel stuff was going down, like the final, like, two episodes of Supernatural were airing. For the project, I wanted to discuss like the barrier gaze trope um, and seeing as how that show ended, it felt uh, pretty topical to, you know, talk about some of that stuff at the time. And so we were living together at the time because we were going to the same college. Uh, We no longer live together. We are several states apart, unfortunately, but it was... November of 2020, when we recorded that episode, we may or may not ever release it. It was not bad, but it was kind of different, I think, than what it's going to be going forward to some degree. So we'll see. Uh, And the only person, two people, I believe, have listened to that podcast episode, one of them being Crystal's professor and the other being my mother. So she's sort of our first fan uh, and for a while, maybe our only listener. (laughs) I would wager to say the episode was actually pretty good, but, like, the Destiel situation kept uh, evolving in such a way that we felt like we hadn't really covered everything that we needed to cover there. And we were planning on making, like, another episode, especially considering how everything kept unfolding with that, uh, but we haven't yet, I say very tentatively, um, and we might never, but, you know, it's just, like, some fun lore there. There planning like a spinoff show so maybe when that premieres we could do sort of a a recap of the whole the whole sort of affair um anyway in the time since then we decided that we liked recording that first podcast it was something that we maybe wanted to keep doing and i think we recorded two more episodes after that which were plagued by constant misfortune (laughs) (laughs) And you will never hear them. No one will ever hear them. They are lost to the sands of time and the internet and Crystal's phone, which got run over by my car. It wasn't on purpose. 
she dropped it in front of my back tire and we didn't realize until it was far too late uh and her phone and the episode were destroyed irrevocably (laughs) so for all intents and purposes this is episode one of the podcast so christiana what are we talking about in this episode uh today we have decided to talk about the found family trope in fiction Specifically, I think we want to view it through the lens of like superhero media, and then we'll get into some other examples that we think are sort of good uses of the trope. Uh, and we may get into some of its uses in fandom and fan fiction, because I feel like personally, the places that I've seen it in a way that I find very satisfying is often in fandom. So I feel like maybe. Toward the end, we could get into that a little bit, but to start off, we are going to be talking about found family in specifically, like, Marvel and the Avengers movies, and sort of how it's worked and not worked over the, what, decade plus of Marvel movies that have been released at this point. First, I want to get into our feelings on Marvel, just, like, to air them, because everyone's going to want to know. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's fair. Okay, so first of all, uh, Chris and I are both a part of, like, the old guard of, like, Marvel fandom goers. Um, We were, like, Christiana was uh, a fan of Marvel well before I was. I think she, like, was into Iron Man around the time that it was coming out um, and, like, saw the first Avenger movie um, relatively quickly after its release. Um, And she was the one, actually, who introduced me to Marvel. I saw Iron Man for the first time with her, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. Um, I watched the Avengers movie and fell asleep on, like, in her bedroom, like, back in, I don't know, like, early middle school hanging out with her. So my introduction to Marvel was through Christiana. Um, But going forward, we both, I would say, gave made quite the investment in being fans of Marvel. We both had a lot of merch. Um, we both saw a lot of movies together. It, it was around the time of like Infinity War and Endgame that we both sort of started to get burnt out. You know, it had been years and years of the movies at that point. And additionally, I feel like a lot of people uh, took some issue with like the directions that the movies were taking. It just didn't feel... It sort of lost the spark. To me, that's what it always felt like. That around the time of, I would say, Age of Ultron is maybe when it started to change for me. It felt like that the thing that made me interested in Marvel movies was sort of no longer a part of the movies at that point. Uh, And there were some movie releases of Marvels after that time that I enjoyed, uh, specifically like Black Panther and Ragnarok. But the main sort of Marvel movies like The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, the movies that came out after Age of Ultron were not so interesting to me. Yeah, I would say that it was probably they had changed writers one too many times and they were sort of losing the characters, it started to feel like. It really became more about like showboating than the characters themselves, which I always was... I mean, I know it's superhero movies and like the explosions are a part of the thrill, but I always liked how in early Marvel they did a lot of work actually developing their characters and it seems like they were trying to keep like consistency throughout like the different iterations. Like Iron Man still felt like himself even in the Avengers movies, you know what I'm saying? And I would say at this point, I mean, I haven't seen 
any Marvel movies that have been released since Endgame, I guess? Yeah, we saw Endgame, and I think we both threw in the towel. <laughs> like, I haven't seen anything since then either. I haven't watched any of the Marvel shows or anything like that. Also, just like a little side note here, for anyone who's wondering, I was Team Iron Man, she was Team Captain America. We've had many, many arguments about it, and that's just how that works. So, all right, do you, are you ready to get into like our actual discussion about found families and like why the Avengers movies worked so well? Yeah, um, do we want to maybe start by defining what we consider like the found family trope to be? Yeah, um, I'll go first, because I know that you are the one, you have a much more, um, like, clear image of it, so I'll just, like, say what I feel like it is, because it's very fluid for me. Oftentimes is, like, a group of people who, uh, in some ways, do not click f at first, or whose, like, energies clash in certain ways, and um, they come together to overcome obstacles and find like camaraderie and community and um, support within like the group of them and they become stronger and better able to handle whatever is thrown their way because they are together that that's sort of how I view um, a found family I would describe it pretty similarly essentially just like a group of people that are can be related but typically are not and usually if people within the group are related the whole group isn't related that for whatever reason don't have like a real sense of family or community in their lives uh, mm -hmm. and find that in each other through choice as opposed to by blood yeah and i will also say that um I think that I'm very drawn to media that employs uh, sort of the found family trope just because I feel like found families are also very like queer coded, not like intentionally, but like as a, a queer person, you know, a lot of your support system is found in like the people around you, the people who you become friends with um, and the people who like, as I said before, you're sort of going through your, like, crises as you come to terms with yourself. I feel like um, it's some, it's like there's this longing to find these people who will support you through thick and thin. And that's why, in a lot of ways, I feel it's something that draws queer people, you know, into, like, to get into the movies for that. I feel like when you, in your life, sort of struggle to have like a real feeling of like familial support uh, from the people around you. These pieces of media that show people from similar situations who find that sense of family with each other is uh, it's something that really draws you in if you feel like maybe you're lacking that in some way in your own life. And I think that's something that happens a lot with queer people because queer people, our family situations can at times be kind of fraught. That's not, you know, true across the board, but with a lot of people, that's the case. Uh, so It's definitely sense, been my experience. Yeah. So this sense that you can, like, find people who have gone through similar things that you've gone through and with them sort of build a family and that kind of support is uh, very alluring. And it's like, it inspires hope in people, I think. I agree. So in the first Avengers movie, they take a group of people who 
I mean, they are about as different as they can come, other than the fact that they are all, like, protagonists of their own stories. And they throw them together, and they have to figure out how to work together in order to overcome unbeatable odds, which is, you know, the most generic way I could have described an Avengers movie. <laughs> sort of where those early Avengers movies kind of stand out from other superhero movies that were being released around that time is that like the rapport between the characters felt like genuine even when they were at odds with each other I feel like everyone had pretty good chemistry and by the end of the movie it felt like they were I mean I would say that the secondary conflict of the movie was the conflict within the team yeah and so part of the movie is like resolving that conflict and everyone sort of coming to respect and care for each other like as a group i would say we spent more screen time with like the main team sort of dealing with all of their baggage that's keeping them from working well with each other than we did with loki in that movie honestly it does in retrospect it does feel that way and i think that's like okay so chris and i uh, you know, as we said before, we hadn't watched any Avengers movies or even rewatched any Avengers movies since, um, like, Endgame. And one day, her father was sitting in the living room watching the first Avengers movie. And we, just as a general rule, do not hang out with her father. <laughs> um, but both of us found ourselves, like, gravitating towards the living room. <laughs> and, like you know, setting up in the kitchen or on, like, a chair, just sort of watching it. And later that night, both of us were just like, it's amazing <laughs> how different this movie feels from Endgame. Endgame really, to me, became about, like, the showboatmanship and, and you know, the spectacle. Um, and you're supposed to be just impressed by the amount of people they were able to get on screen and the visual effects. And while there was obviously a lot of spectacle in the first Avengers movie, they spent so much time on the relationships that it, it really was revolutionary for superhero movies at that time. I mean, I, I think that like you, you really get to know the characters, and I'm, that's why people love Batman, right? It, you you know him because you've seen so many iterations of him, and they keep his like sort of this main thread of who the character is throughout. So every time you go to the theater, you sort of have an like already have an idea of who this character is going to be, and they do a very like they do a lot of work on his emotional state. I think that's why Batman is probably, like, the most resurrected character of all time throughout, like, iterations, you know? And I feel like that they were taking that kind of approach with these characters in that all of them seem to have, like, an emotional drive that sort of kept them going. And it oftentimes clashed with the person next to them, and they had to figure out how to make it work so that way they could um, overcome what they needed to where Marvel really lost me was when is when it no longer became believable but that these were people that cared about each other or even liked each other really at point in the movies it really became obvious that and this isn't like an actor thing this is a writing thing that these people just don't like each other and so at that point it was hard to root for them as a group because 
part of the reason that I think you root for them in the Avengers is that they all is the way that they come together and seem to really respect and like each other. Uh, and when that goes out the window, they're much less compelling. Yeah, I think in Ultron, they still, they had a, a good camaraderie. I, I enjoy parts of the writing of Ultron. I know I left that theater uh, much happier than you did. Because I felt like they had given us like a lot of those moments in which, you know, we just see the characters interacting. And I would say after Ultron, we don't get that anymore. Um, we're focused more on like driving the plot forward as quickly as possible so we can get to the explosions. And in Ultron, we actually spend time with them interacting, which I really enjoyed. But Ultron also, I think, was, as you were saying earlier, the downfall of like the relationships in Marvel because they made decisions in that film to sort of villainize characters in like the main group in a way that there was no outlet for them to sort of overcome that and I'm talking specifically about like Tony right he in that film like Bruce and Tony made decisions together um and Tony was the one who took all of the blame. Nobody, like, allowed him sort of to um, overcome that. Nobody allowed him to grow from that. Um, and it was just, like, building resentment and anger. And then they never addressed it and allowed the characters to, like, complete the arc of, like, understanding each other. And they didn't ever allow that to happen in the films going forward either. It just kept building more and more resentment between these characters. And yes, we see a lot of like them interacting, but all of the clashes are just filled with so much anger and almost like blooming hatred for each other instead of like trying to find any sort of like understanding, which was what made the first films so great. Uh, in Ultron, they really were working hard to set up the divisions within the team that would later sort of characterize uh, Civil War, because I believe at that point they were already sort of... Civil War was already in the works, essentially, like it was already being planned. Mm -hmm. So a lot of Ultron was about setting up that conflict, but I think the issue with that is that they never... There was never a satisfying sort of reunion or forgiveness mm -hmm. between any of the characters. Like they never... That division started in Ultron... And got progressively worse throughout the movies. And I feel like Infinity War and Endgame never convinced me that anyone had ever actually gotten over it. Which is why I found those movies so unsatisfying. Beyond the fact that they just, like, absolutely uh, kneecapped everybody's uh, character arc. But that's, like, another episode. <laughs> oh my god, truly. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. I, I feel like... I, I enjoyed Civil War. I enjoyed the fanfare around it. I enjoyed the community experience of, like, picking a side. I think that that was the point of it, was to, you know, for the community to be able to engage with it in a very um, real way. But I think that they just, I think I could, it could have been handled better in in just trying to keep the essence of what the Avengers are. And I know that, like, in um, in the comics, there also was, like, a lot of division and, you know, characters died and, you know, it was it got really, really messy. And I know it's very easy to just say, well, you know, I, I want there to be, like, an emotionally satisfying ending um, and I want, like, it to be a happy ending. But um, 
you know, that's not how life works. But the thing is that I also think that these characters, they just gave up on each other instead of, instead of giving themselves, like, actual reasons to con- continue that resentment. I-, I feel like they just didn't try after a while to create, like, any kind of dialogue between them, positive or negative. I feel like that's something that a lot of people were unhappy with because I feel like a lot of the sort of the fandom interaction with Marvel, uh, specifically around the time when the first Avengers movie was released, was focused very heavily on uh, sort of the team as a family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of fan works at that time specifically were exploring that concept, like beyond sort of the fight uh, with Loki like that characterizes the plot of the Avengers, a lot of fan works explored like after that sort of event, what is like this group of people that have come to like respect and care for each other and be willing to fight for and with each other, like what are their relationships with each other as like sort of a family unit in a non-traditional sense like look like going forward. And I feel like a lot of the people that were engaging with the media that way were really thrown for a loop when the movie franchise itself seemed completely unwilling to engage with the characters in that way at all. And I'm not saying that people have, like, the people that write movies have a, like, that they're required to sort of follow the whims of fandom, because I feel like fandom and canon work should be separate entities. But I don't, I've always been sort of confused by the way that they set up the end of that first Avengers movie and then never really decided to pay that off i agree i think that the fan works that i've always engaged with have seemed to focus very heavily on what their off-duty time looks like um what they are saying to each other what they're doing with each other when they're not in you know like on the battlefield and i feel like in some ways the comics engaged with that a little bit as well and I, I, I also, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I understand that you only have so much time in which you can sort of tell your story. But I think that it is a worthwhile use of your time to um, have your characters interact with each other. It, 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 you can't just set the characters up 10 years prior to, you know, whatever film you're making and assume that the viewer that you have now is going to be drawing all of their thoughts and feelings and ideas from that original movie 10 years ago. And so I think that there was a lot of opportunities lost in that way, just because they never, or they very rarely after Ultron showed the characters actually just engaging with each other in a way that like showed them as people. (laughs) Like they really are just superheroes. And I know it's a superhero film, but... Who are like the thing that I loved about the Avengers movie is we were seeing the people in the uniform, not just the uniform itself. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you are trying, if the conceit of your film is that you want people to root for this team, then you have to make the team worthy of being rooting for. And part of that is that they can't just be these larger than life facades, they have to be people connect to people. So if Mm -hmm. you want people to root for your team, then you have to show that they are people who care about each other. The team itself has to be something worth rooting for. In fan works, I feel like oftentimes the main focus really is uh, the family. 
and like what they're doing between certain films because that's the one thing that's really lacking and I feel like fan works fill a void and the void that we all felt really was in like the character development and sort of their dynamics with each other um and so that is to say that in a lot of ways the Avengers franchise dropped the ball when it came to you know those areas so we're going to talk about uh, some other film franchises that we feel like did it better, um, even if, you know, they came up short in, you know, other areas such as plot. <laughs> overall quality in general. Um, yeah, so I think the first one uh, that when we were planning for this episode that really came to mind, partially because this is sort of the dichotomy that everyone draws between these franchises, is everyone loves to compare DC to Marvel. And I feel like this is a pretty an area where you can make a pretty good comparison in the way that DC and Marvel um, sort of pull off found families. And I'm not talking about the Justice League because I personally haven't seen any of the Justice League films. Uh, but I am talking about like Suicide Squad specifically. Are they good films? No, certainly not. Oh, absolutely not. Um, but are they fun films? Yes. Yes. And I feel like they do utilize the found family sort of formula better in part because I think they do a better job of consistently like portraying all the characters as like people that you mm -hmm. feel are, I would say maybe because they are supposed to be sort of villainous characters, they feel more like people that you can relate to in a way, not to say that like everyone who watches them is evil or something, but I feel like Marvel sort of gets, up its own ass about their characters sometimes in that they portray them as these like larger than life perfect <laughs> yeah and even when they are fallible it's like it's like, it's like big big things that like nobody's gonna fallibility yeah it, it doesn't feel like the mistakes and the fuck-ups that people make in real life which i feel I... like suicide squad pulls off a lot better i absolutely agree with that because it's just that like all of the characters it, especially, you know, through to um, Infinity War, they just, none of them have, are willing to confront any of their issues, which is, I will say, pretty human of us, pretty human of them anyway. Like, their issues are never something small that they need to address and, like, to overcome to make their, like, situation with other people better. So, and I think another way that Suicide Squad really excelled is because it was like a group of like visibly and intentionally flawed people I feel like they worked really hard on their relationships with each other within the group being like believable and not just believable but interesting I agree with that I think that a lot of ways Suicide Squad they started off you know hating each other <laughs> Or being kind of indifferent. Like, they all had their own goals in mind for how they wanted to handle what was going on. And I also think that they did a really good job there. It, like, in that, okay, if you compare Suicide Squad to the first Avengers movie, which I'm going to do right now. <laughs> the, um, the first Avengers movie, like, you do not have a clear picture of everyone's goal in that film. You get, like the overarching idea of what sort of people are fighting for. Um, and you definitely get an idea of, like, specific, like, big players. 
uh, like what their goals are. But I feel like in Suicide Squad, everyone has something that they are trying to gain. And they are oftentimes at odds with the other people in their group in order to gain it. And so they have to confront each other in order and like, you know, work things through with each other in order to actually accomplish the goal. Yeah, Suicide Squad is much more interesting in letting its characters be selfish, mm-hmm. which I think makes for much their it makes their like drive and their desires more believable and more I think relatable to the audience. That sort of use of um like letting your characters be sort of like selfish and imperfect and like because of that be very believable as like real people. I feel like the only time marvel ever really pulled that off was with the guardians of the galaxy movies and i feel like that's why those movies feel more consistent with each other is i think they keep that same like believability of characters between the two movies (laughs) they did it better in the first one i feel like that they were trying too hard to recapture the magic that was the first one and the second one i agree with you i think the first one pulled it off better but i think both of them made it work and i feel like that like the the guardians as a group are a very believable found family and one that I think is, like, easy to root for and be, like, interested in. Yeah, and I, I will say, like, the the plot, the Yondu plot of the second film, it hits in a very specific kind of way, you know? Yeah, no, that one does hit for sure. And, and that's actually the epitome of found family. Like, you are literally with your actual dad realizing who your father is. Right, exactly. I don't think any other Marvel movie ever could have pulled that off. I feel like the Guardians, because they're so, they were so flawed and selfish and overcame those, like, traits in themselves to work together for, like, a bigger cause, even though it was, like, a the universe is going to be destroyed cause. The fact that they really had to, like, work past their own, like, believable sort of small human issues to come together is what makes them so much more engaging from a found family perspective than the, like, Avengers portion of the Marvel Universe. I I just have, like, a what-if scenario to throw at you. If you had put Tony Stark across from anyone that wasn't, like, the perfect, like, um, symbol that is Captain America, we might have been able to get something that was closer to... um, guardians of the galaxy because thor doesn't take himself very seriously um bruce is like a mess uh but he he's always like in the background right i feel like natasha we could have gotten more of playful natasha that they only really leaned into like in the second half and i feel like we could have written hawkeye more like much closer to um the comics i feel like captain america is sort of the thing that pushed it he was like obviously like out of the military trying to keep everything very regimented he's like um in a lot of ways like the leader of the avengers even if like tony plays sort of that role sometimes as well um and i feel like it just was true it was very much like a tactical team because of captain america you know what i'm saying yeah, I think there is some truth to that. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that beyond The Winter Soldier, which I maintain is the best movie that Captain America features in. Because I feel like that was the one that was most interested in, um, well, and in being in conversation with, like, Captain America as, like, a flawed figure. And Steve mm. is, like, a person that had a lot of, like, grief and, tr- like, 
trauma and issues. And mm-hmm. I feel like all the other movies that he featured in were much less interested in that. I would say the first one to an extent, um, but I feel like all of them were much more interested in Captain America as like a symbol, which I feel like is the least interesting version of him. I would say Steve um, in the Avengers movie was definitely like a symbol. He was sort of just supposed to be the foil to Iron Man. I would say that Tony really stole the show. Um, Robert Downey Jr. in a lot of ways really stole the show in the first Avengers movie. And so I think that like it was just this clash of like different ways of doing things, you know. But yeah, I definitely I definitely see what you're saying there. So I feel like the reason why sort of their relationship never really worked is because the writers for most of the movies where they featured together weren't really interested in Steve as like a human person. They were interested in Cap like the Captain America, like the mythical like legend figure in this universe. I agree. As opposed and I, to Steve, who was just like a shithead kid from Brooklyn, who was always I, the version that I was most interested in. The guy who won't sit, like won't stop fighting, even though he's getting like his whole shit kicked in. No, I like that's that's the version of Cap that I originally like was in love with, um, and that he disappeared. And I think that after Ultron, all of the Avengers lost that core personality that made them individuals you know and and they were just sort of they were all different like symbols of ideas and they never really got it to like develop past that after that point you know what i'm saying yeah i think partially in that there were so many different writers involved with the franchise and partially because of disney's sort of tendency towards soulless spectacle Mm -hmm. um it was sort of like playing a game of telephone with the characters where they got more and more abstracted from like the people they started out as, uh, which is why they became so hard to root for and why their relationships with each other felt less and less believable or honest. Yeah, I'd say uh, Tony kept his sort of core personality the longest, but even he lost it. Um, Captain America really became like, this sort of nationalistic like ideal you know he really he very very quickly i feel like was like he lost a lot of who he was as a person um and i you know i feel like in winter soldier they gave us some of that and i feel like we got to a certain degree we got like we do get some of it in like civil war but it's so little (laughs) you know we and also I liked Civil War at the time, but why the hell did we not actually go into detail about why the characters are making the decision that they're making? Like, why are they fighting? Why does Tony want to do it one way and Steve to do it the other way? Because very specifically, like, they show a scene that sort of implies what Tony wants, even though they never address it after that. They never really tell you why Steve is doing what he's doing. We all have to assume. And so, like, all of our arguments with each other is based on assumption. So now that we've covered sort of the two main, like, superhero franchises that we feel like, and the ways that they, like, did and didn't utilize Found Family, are there any other pieces of media that you wanted to talk about that have, you think, like, good examples of a Found Family trope? First of all... I want to ask you a question. How many people do you think there needs to be for it to be a found family? I think 
more than two. I feel like if it's just two people, like that one-on-one relationship, I feel like, I mean, obviously you can consider one other person your family, but I feel like from a sort of a trope standpoint, with those one-on-one relationships, it's a little, they can, like, their relationship between each other can be familial, but I feel like for it to be a found family, it requires a group of more than two. Okay, hear me out. (laughs) I feel like... Um, in a lot of ways, like, a found family is also, like, fulfilling roles that are lacking in your life. Like, you have a void and you meet a character who in some way may be your foil or in some way may just compliment you in that way that you need in order to fulfill that, like, to fill that void. I think that there are some films that I would say are found family adjacent that are um, only like two people sort of finding the way that they fit with each other like for example okay so I know that this is like a biopic you know it's you know based on an actual story but like catch me if you can for example like Carl and Frank I feel like I feel like in a lot of ways they are fulfilling like a familial like void for each other because taking like you know my own headcanon stuff out of the film in a lot of ways we're harping a lot on the lack of a like Carl's daughter in his life um, and how he misses his family and he misses his child specifically Um, and then enter Frank who his relationship with his father is very rapidly deteriorating. He lost his mother, not to death, but because she sort of left her, like, like left his father, who is now destitute, um, and created a different family. And so he's, like, feeling a, like a lack of any kind of, a, like, a parental support system. And these two start interacting with each other and actually, like, having phone calls on Christmas... Every year. It's a Christmas movie, in my opinion. (laughs) And it it just, it feels like they are sort of fulfilling that familial role for each other. So I don't know if I would necessarily say found family, but I would say definitely adjacent. You know, I would make an argument that there is something to be said for, like, these two people, you know, fulfilling this role. And I would also, you know, say this in a way for Kingsman. like possibly because it's like a very similar sort of dynamic in which they are like fulfilling roles for each other though I don't think that like Harry ever wants a kid or ever wanted a kid yeah I think you make a compelling case for like two people as a found family I guess I'm just like my sort of engagement with the trope is I tend to seek out sort of like media with the bigger groups because I'm I feel like those group dynamics are very interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like I definitely agree with you that that sort of like that like parent child relationship kind of thing that you're talking about is definitely I think sort of a like can be an example of the trope I think it depends um, but I feel like sort of uh, what's the video game The Last of Us I feel like that's definitely an example where they really pull it off uh, you have changed my mind I think I agree with you Hell yeah! Okay, to the listeners out there, you don't know how much of a win this is for me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you really, like,
like we you know sometimes when it comes to like our disagreements like this we will go round and around for literal years so like this this considering this was only like a very short conversation i am feeling the burn of victory it's so nice (laughs) i am very stubborn and i I will freely admit that but uh in this case you you definitely got me christiana has the gift of knowing how she feels (laughs) all the time Um, so yeah, this is, this is, this is a great one for me. Um, but yeah, we were talking about, you know, bigger groups, right? So let's talk about Star Trek. I'm a Trekkie lifelong. I have Trek tattoos. I would say that in a lot of ways, Star Trek saved my life, however stupid that may sound to some of you. Um, and I would say that that is like, especially in, okay, so I like the original series. Um, that was the thing that I watched first. I went through all of it in ninth grade um, and became obsessed after that. And while I would say the original series does fulfill some of that found family, um, you know, genre kind of ideals, I think that the alternate original series gives a lot more of a fuck about actually making it explicit. Something that seems to for me to really ground a found family is if you have like a narrative foil that sort of is like the center of it mm-hmm. um because i feel like in the avengers it was um steve and tony they're not like exact foils but i think that they really have like such different ideals and they're kind of set up to be that way and i feel like in a lot of ways kirk and spock for Star Trek are the foils that sort of ground the entire group of people in that they both are so different. They both feel very strongly about, you know, the thing that makes them different, whether that be like a complete lack of emotion or following your gut to um, accomplish a task, Um, like approaching it very logically or very emotionally. Um, I think that that conflict draws the entire group together and drives them toward greatness you know i think that there needs to be something that creates conflict in a found family for the rest of the group to sort of be grounded by to um you know they like there needs to be something that they take sides on and have to overcome together and i think that it helps if it's not just like an external factor if they're also like sort of having to get out of their own way and challenge each other emotionally in order to also get better on a personal level. Yeah, I think intergroup conflict is sort of necessary to... Well, partially, I think it's because you need that intergroup conflict to be believable. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, even, like, the best, healthiest, like, most adjusted families have conflict within them. Everybody has conflict with each other at some point. Any long-lasting relationship involves conflict at some point. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would be unrealistic to never have conflict within, like, found family units. And additionally, I feel like it goes back to that sort of, like, the reason that people are drawn to found families is because they're sort of an inherently hopeful trope. And so I think involving conflict in found family and media is also hopeful in a way because it sort of demonstrates that, you know, you can fight with the people that you're close to, but you can also overcome those fights and in some ways be stronger for them. I completely agree with everything you just said. I feel like the thing that really, really makes a found family something that is worth watching for me, especially if there is like a lot of internal conflict from the start 
I think that it's like I mean I I love an enemies to lovers trope. <laughs> like I'm just you know I, there's something very attractive about like your biggest opponent sort of being um, won over by you in the end. That that's kind of like an aside to the fact that I think that there's also something very attractive about like overcoming a lot of difference in order to you know find camaraderie with people. I, I like I just I love Star Trek because of like the way that it sort of challenges me to sort of think around like the ideals that I have about like the universe and you know who I am and how I fit in it. You mentioned earlier that uh, you felt like the original series was a better example of the found family trope than the newer movies, right? No, it was the other way around. Oh, you thought the original series didn't get it as much? Yeah, I feel like the original series was a a team of people who, when we enter, they already know each other. They already are working very well together. They are, like, more colleagues than they are, like... And, and I would say they are friends, but they are more colleagues than they are, like, very close, like, friends, in a way. And while there is, like, some growth of character, I would say that, you know, the relationships that we're presented with, maybe not in the first episode, but in the second episode, are the way that the relationships stay throughout the show. And, I mean, I think that is, like, the nature of episodic television at that time, in that... They were trying to tell extravagant stories about, like, the universe that they were um, trying to create. And so they didn't have a lot of space to, like, focus on their characters in the short amount of time they had in every episode. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like something that maybe could have contributed to that as well is that that was a time period in which, like, the nuclear family structure was really still being upheld. And I know that Star Trek was very, like, socially subversive, much to its credit, but I feel like maybe it wasn't so much that they were, like, trying to fit the status quo in that way, so much as that was just sort of the cultural consciousness at the time, is that, like, families look a certain way, essentially, across the board in their structure, that there's, like, a mother and a father and 2.5 kids and a picket fence or whatever. But I feel like that's something in more recent years that is like changing in media landscapes is that we are seeing families that come in different shapes and sizes and iterations which is maybe why the newer movies sort of pull off the found family a little better is because we are more maybe willing to recognize like unusual family structure yeah i feel like in um Star Trek, like the original series, we don't actually see a lot of like the family dynamics in the show. In the films, we do see, um, I mean, in the show, we see Spock's mom and father, um, and we see like how he's estranged from them. We see Kirk's brother who dies, and we see Kirk's nephew who we never then see again. And then in the actual movies, we see, we hear about like McCoy having to, um, like, take his grandfather, no, his father? I'm unsure, off of life support. Um, and this is in The Final Frontier, where Cybok, who is Spock's brother, is also present. So we do see, like, some of their, like, family relations, but we don't really get into it a great deal. I think Spock is the only person 
who we actually like really dig into his life and backstory and I think it's because he's one of the most interesting characters on the crew because he's constantly trying to balance like his emotional human side with his uh, you know very logical Vulcan side so we get a lot of that but I think in the like the newer movies in the alternate original series movies we see a lot to, to your point we see a lot more of like this found family structure in that we see the interaction between the characters when they're off duty we see the interaction um in the characters when they're in school Jim loses his father as he's born and so we see like Captain Pike sort of take on that role for him which I would say is like you know they have sort of a very father-son dynamic throughout the films then later on we see sort of you know the way that that like the relationship between um Jim and Bones develops and I while they are like best friends I would say that there is like a very weird way that their relationship develops into almost like a sibling relationship and also a parental relationship at the same time I feel like Bones takes care of Jim a lot in a almost fatherly way I know he's like a, a not a good bit older than Jim but like a, a bit older than him I, I think that they just they do a lot of interesting things to sort of show the relationships between these characters um and how they evolve over time, which I think is a very found family thing to do when it comes to um, people who are close for a period of time. I think the found family aspect of those movies is enhanced um, by sort of the demonstration of the fact that a lot of their home families are dysfunctional. I mean, we only really get that for Kirk and Spock and to an extent Bones because he talks about his divorce. Um, but I think that sort of humanizes them a little bit and makes them sort of like relatable in that way for having had those problems but I also think that it sort of it recontextualizes their relationships with each other I think there has to be a lack right we have to be shown a lack of something in order to know what void is being filled and that's why I want to once again bring up Tony Stark because he is as of right now, from what I'm remembering, the only character in the Avengers who we are actually shown in depth, like, his family and what he is missing. The exception, I think, would be Thor. We get a lot of Thor's family. Oh, that's true. I feel like Thor's family is on a different, like, just on a different, <laughs> on a different level. Thor's family is inherently unrelatable because their shit is so wild. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Tony's family, he, he has daddy issues, like... At his core, he has daddy issues that he is un unable to overcome. Yeah, or even really address in any meaningful way. And so, you know, and I think that Jim from Star Trek, he has daddy issues that he is quite literally unable to overcome. <laughs> because, like, he's he's never able to actually address that. Which, stop picking, like, stop playing with me, Paramount. Are you going to make four or not? Because they, they put, they recently made another, like, announcement saying that they might have gotten Chris Hemsworth, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> if they make this movie, if they ever actually make it, that would be crazy. I'm going to shit myself. Yanking our chains about this movie for so long. I, um, I saw the announcement 
like and I cried (laughs) I'm like I'm waiting I'm waiting with bated breath to see if they will actually do it because they interviewed somebody recently I think it was uh Carl Urban he was like I still I'm still down I still want to do it I'm like yeah I know you I I want you to do it I don't know I want it I want it to happen so so badly Kristen (laughs) um but yeah so up until this point in canon we don't we are having, we are being shown, you know, where the voids in these characters' lives are. You know, Spock literally loses his mom in, you know, Star Trek 2009. Um, he has a very weird relationship with his father, who is very emotionally distanced for obvious reasons. Um, we have Bones, whose uh, wife has left him and who, you know, so he's sort of, like, missing a child. I think that uh, in a lot of ways, you know... Jim needs somebody to take care of him and that's where like that sibling slash parental relationship is happening um we don't get a lot of backstory on Pike but I feel like you know he's very obviously taking um Jim under his wing and I think sort of he was friends with George you know when they were in the academy so I think that he sort of feels like a a responsibility towards Jim and I think that they like they do a lot of work to actually like build needs in these characters that they fill for each other. I think one that I have always really enjoyed uh, is the 2009 Zombieland. I think Zombieland was a really good use of the found family trope. I think they've got that. They very clearly demonstrate sort of the ways in which they are lacking strong relationships with the families they were born into, or in. Um, Tallahassee's case is sort of like the loss of his child. I think they introduce a good intergroup conflict that feels like believable, but ultimately they are able to overcome. And I feel like their interactions with each other are like, they make sense, they're believable, but they're also very meaningful. And I feel like I liked that it didn't focus solely on sort of like the romantic subplot, but that I feel like it gave a lot of weight to sort of everyone's interactions with each other, maybe with the exception of Columbus and Little Rock. I think apocalypse media really facilitates the development of found families in that, like, typically associated with an apocalypse is usually the loss of loved ones in a character's life. And so they're sort of looking for that sense of, like, belonging and community in a world that's very, like, scary and unfamiliar. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And so I think a lot of times in apocalypse media, you can build a strong found family from that. I think Mad Max Fury Road doesn't quite get there. Not in that I think that they did a bad job in it. They didn't have the time to get there. Yeah, they were... Like, the characters themselves didn't... Like, there was was so much happening. And I think part of that is that that was the setup for, like, the beginning of a series of movies. So I think that they set up the beginnings of a found family in that in a way that I think was well done uh but they didn't quite get to pay it off just because the series was sort of wasn't seen through the way that it was intended to be i want to say i think warm bodies did a pretty decent job (laughs) i feel like warm bodies is less a found family because it focuses so strongly on the romance not that like romantic partners aren't a family but i feel like it's sort of a different situation I think that the, like, sort of the camaraderie of, like, the zombies is very, very interesting to me. I don't think the movie does it justice, but I think the way that they build connections in the books is interesting. I think you're right in that the first book does explore that more, especially with, like... Whip it! 
that's another movie that does a good job of creating a found family. I think, yeah, I think Whippet really pulls it off. I love Whippet. And also, like, I think that Whippet does a good job of proving that your your blood family can be incorporated into that found family. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that that's not something that's explored super often with found families, but I think is a place... Typically, if there are two people that are related within the found family, it's siblings. Mm-hmm. Which I think is interesting. Um, but I do think that there is a place where sort of a family unit is incorporated into sort of a larger found family structure. And I think that that's interesting. I would love to see a piece of media that really explores, like, the tension that can be created from that. Because it's, like, in a lot of ways, I would say, like, the structure of a found family is a lot more relaxed than your blood family. With your blood family, you have your parents who, to a certain degree, are, you know, they, they garner a certain amount of respect from you. And so I think that you are a little bit more on or like a character may be a little bit more on guard with sort of a parental unit being a part of that situation but also I think that there is like something interesting in exploring how to find actual community and understanding and common ground with your parents and I I think Whippet does like a pretty decent job of creating a group of people that you know you can be yourself with and be comfortable with and then using that as a way to strive to find that same sense of community in your own household with that i feel like we've pretty much covered everything that we set out to talk about so that's gonna do it for this episode of fiction band and otherwise i would not say that we are gonna have a super consistent posting schedule at least at first we're still trying to figure out some stuff with this but we will be back and we will be talking about more media at length a lot of um you know the conversation that sort of has driven us you know has been like dissecting characters and media that we both enjoy because we have very similar tastes whether you know in stuff that we like even if you know, we differ in how we sort of engage with the stuff that we like. And so I think that, you know, this is going to be great because we're just going to be able to talk shit about the things that we like and, um, you know, include you guys in it. Thanks for listening. Bye, Mom. Oh, bye, Mom. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>